Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, Ben Ashworth will be speaking to Dr. Martin Asker for part three of our shoulder series. Then what we will be doing next is getting Ben and all the other shoulder series guests together for a panel discussion on all things athletic shoulder. So you've got that to look forward to. Informed Performance will imminently be releasing our first digital magazine with articles from some excellent and very well-known names across the sports medicine and performance industry. We will be launching this magazine with a product giveaway competition from Push. So now more than ever, make sure you follow our social media channels to find out more about the magazine release and also about the Push Band competition. We are on Instagram as Informed Performance or on Twitter as at InformPod. This episode has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of Forstex, the world's fastest, easiest, and most powerful dual force plate system. Forstex can help you to analyze neuromuscular strength, performance, and imbalances in your athletes. With an incredibly simple setup and intuitive software, Forstex automatically detects over 15 common force plate tests and analyzes them with a single click, helping you to collect quick and accurate insights on your athletes. To learn more, head over to our sponsor, volperformance.com. It's time for me to hand over the mic and the hosting responsibilities. So here is today's episode of the Informed Performance Podcast between Ben Ashworth and Dr. Martin Asker. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Informed Performance Podcast. Today is part three of the European Shoulder Series. And on today's show, we've got special guest, Dr. Martin Asker, who is the director of the Hamble Research Group at the Sophia Hammett University in Stockholm. Today, um, I'm delighted to have Martin on the show. I've listened to him present a couple of times at conferences, and we've had some chats ongoing ever since. Um, Martin and I are going to talk today about the diagnostics and common issues that throwing athletes run into and how that might differ a little bit from a regular shoulder athlete. So welcome to the show, mate. I'm really pleased to have you on. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm pleased to be on. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So Martin, I think just for the listeners, um, could you give a little bit of a background of your journey to this point and what you're currently up to? Yeah. Uh, so for the past 20 years or so, I've been working in, in the field of sports medicine, first as a massage therapist and then um, going more into manual therapy, uh, graduated as a naturopath and then shifted more into strength and conditioning uh, one can say so and I mainly work with with handball uh, players uh, in Sweden but also other what we call shoulder uh, sports uh, like tennis ice hockey uh, other overhead athletes like badminton etc but mainly handball players and for the past 12 or 13 years or so i've been focusing more on the on the adolescent players and those stepping onto the elite or or more uh what we call professional transition into the professional uh, handball player and uh as you said ben i'm currently the director of the handball research group and we're mainly focusing on on shoulder knee injuries and what we're doing now or what we've been doing for the past seven years or so uh, we've been doing large cohort studies and RCTs on uh, our handball profile high schools. So we've been following these athletes uh, on weekly reports and monitoring them, their training load and, and uh, shoulder injuries, knee injuries. And we currently have around 2,000 players approximately that we've been following on a weekly 
basis. Uh, so the main goal is is to see how we can try to prevent or, or reduce the risk of mainly shoulder and knee injuries. So that's where we are right now. And, and hopefully we have some new material and results that we can present uh, early next year uh, from our RCTs in, in the prevention of, of shoulder and knee injuries in the adolescent handball players. Yeah, that research is um, something, again, I touched on last time with Stig, but it's a fantastic piece of work and and you guys in Scandinavia seem to be trailblazing the way with these large you know cohort studies um what's what's been a big benefit of being able to kind of share information I know you you speak across sort of Norway and and Scandinavia and Sweden around sharing information on handball in, injury prevention yeah. um what has been the sort of big benefit to that I think the, the biggest benefits is when we're looking at like Norway and, and Denmark, in my case, they they started huge studies uh, in Norway with Ben Clarsen and, and uh, uh, Stig Andersson as well when they're doing their PhD. And in Denmark was Merthe Müller did her PhD on a similar topic that I did. So they pretty much like paid the ground for, for, for me. Uh, mm. And and were really, really like open-minded and open-hearted sharing their, their experience mainly. So this is how we did it this where we run into problems, this is what we could have done better, this is what we wish we would have done, and I could just pick their brains and, okay, then I we try to do that and we try to do that. So it's been really, really beneficial just sharing the experience on, on how to run these large cohort studies over, over a long time. So it's 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 a huge rival when it comes to, to the games, and Norway, they just won the Women's European Championship, so again, as they usually do. So congrats to them. Uh, I give credits when credit's due. But but when it comes down to research, it's really, really open-minded and sharing information. Uh, and it's 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 like like sibling rivalry. So but in the end of the day, we, we love each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can tell that from the discussions we've had um as a as a group so far. Definitely there's some mutual respect, but when it comes to competition there's huge rivalry, which is uh, obvious, but I think it's refreshing to hear. That's why I brought it up that you know that information sharing that goes on behind the scenes in a competitive world. Um something that I think people don't let themselves into a lot there's a lot of secret squirrel yeah. in a lot of organizations across the world but um for the benefit of the health of the athletes i think you know the, the more we can share it the the better for the sort of sport and the better for the sort of performance support for those athletes um going forward yeah i think it, like at the end of the day it's it's we all work in this this area when it comes to research on injury prevention or risk reduction it's it's that's that's the main goal so we'll all benefit we can share our data and, and our experiences as well for sure yeah and for those listeners who haven't yet had a chance to check the show notes from last time stig was giving you some credit for a lot of work actually and the sort of karolinska pdf um that is available online which shows a really nice phased uh, prevention program is a, is a really useful resource for any sort of throwing athlete or shoulder athlete there so one to look for yeah, I, I want to dig in, Martin, to um, a couple of things, and we're going to talk diagnostics today. Um, and so, really, you know, your take on the most common diagnosis that we see 
in throwers and we'll start with that and we'll we'll go on from there yeah so I didn't mention that, but I'm, I'm, I'm not just the boring researcher. I, I still see patients uh, two times a day, uh, and mainly it's these overhead athletes, tennis players, and, and but mainly mainly handball players and mainly youth players uh, uh, that I see. And and what we commonly run into is is rotator cuff strains. Uh, and if we just mention the the impingement syndrome as a syndrome and not a diagnosis, many of these athletes have this uh, and the other thing that they often have is is uh, tendonitis in in the long head of biceps and on fifth or seventh sixth place i would say infraspinatus problems but the main thing is is that rotator cuff if we call it tendonitis or sore rotator cuff or rotator cuff related pain or problems that's that's the main thing that i that i see uh, overuse injury uh, not an uh, or a non-traumatic injury. That's that's the most common thing that we that I see in the clinic. Uh, and I think it's it's the similar that we see if you look at the major league baseball. It's a similar thing that we see in our pitchers. Uh, if you look at the statistics that are out there as well. So mainly overuse or or non-traumatic injuries. That's that's the most common thing. And what um, what do you see as being the sort of primary the primary causes to that that kind of diagnosis that sort of shoulder tendon overload? Um, what are what are the key things that you're seeing when you you come across your shoulder athletes? Often, is if if you're looking at their history, they often have done some like rapid increase in throwing. Uh, in handball, it's very common that they're coming back from summer break and and they go straight to boot camp or or pre tournament camp. Where they do a lot, lot of throwing and not used to that, so they get a sore shoulder, and that's pretty much like 60, 70 percent of our in handball. We have the backcourt players who are doing all the throwers, and I, I reckon it's a similar thing in, in baseball pitchers when they come back from a, from the summer break or they have a season break and they start throwing like hell. Uh, and for m- most of them, in a couple of weeks, the soreness will will go away and and it will feel better. And but for some of them, it will stay on. And eventually, it will develop so much that they can't throw hard anymore. They can't perform at the, their normal level. And that's often when they come seeing you because they can't throw anymore. So that's that's the m- most common thing that I see, uh, if, just taking the history. So have you done anything particular? I did this. Either they, they came back from, from a break or the coaches told them that now we're going to start throwing with a, with a heavy ball or now we're going to throw with another technique. So they just jump into something completely new or something that they're the shoulder is not used to yeah i can see that um as being an issue it's you know this this spike in loading this change of loading often is the thing that kicks tendons into gear um for sure and you you probably have a similar sort of uh, thing going on when you're looking at diagnostics here with regard to sort of looking at the tissues themselves um how do you how do you look at this sort of diagnostic situation when you've got people who have symptoms sometimes with very little to see on a on an ultrasound scan or on any sort of uh, investigation versus those people who perhaps um, got more to see um, perhaps the older athlete or you know those those kind of developed athletes more to see on the scans but perhaps less in terms of their symptom symptomology so how do you how do you deal with that sort of diagnostic situation yeah, I think I think it's it's 
your diagnostics, if you're talking about like an ultrasound scan or an MRI pictures, and your your if you call it orthopedics test, we don't we know now there's not that special test or specific test, so, so we, that's not the name yeah. the name we should use. But if you call it an orthopedic test, these are mainly something that you do to confirm or 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 uh, your your preliminary diagnosis that you build on the history. So for me, it's it's taking a good history. That's 70 80% of your diagnosis. And then we look at the picture or the test and see how does this fit with the players or the athletes' uh, history. So if you're having a history uh, of being weak in the shoulder and, and perhaps you did some sudden movement or you started to throw and you feel this sharp pain, there was a specific onset when I did this throw, something happened in the shoulder, and then they come into the clinic and you test them and if you have a, a typical or, or a clear weakness in the shoulder and then on the ultrasound scan we can see that you have a tear in the in the rotator cuff that would probably end up like okay this is something that you have a pathology that that it, it seems right right so you have the history smells like a, a rotator cuff tear and then the test pretty much confirms that uh, and in contrast, if you have an older athlete coming in and saying like, yeah, lately for the past six months, I get more and more sore in my shoulder. And then we do a scan and we see all kinds of things on, on the ultrasound scan. We have tendinosis and tendinitis. We have bursitis. We have some, some uh, perhaps we have some small tears in the, in the biceps tendon, pretty much what we're expecting to see in an older thrower passing 30 years or something like that. That history doesn't smell like a great pathology, but we find all these abnormalities or pathologies on the ultrasound scan or in the MRI picture. I will still go with the history. Now, it still sounds like more that you've been building up uh, a shoulder tendonitis or, or sore shoulder for some reason. Uh, so it's, it's uh, especially in the, in the older athletes, we see that both in, in baseball picture, we have some great studies on handball going back like 25 years ago, showing that on average they have around three or four abnormalities or what we call pathologies in the shoulders, even if you're symptom-free. Uh, and in the younger athletes, it's a stronger correlation if you find something on the, on the scan uh, that it's actually correlated with their, with their symptom or their, their problems. Uh, but it's mainly building up on the history. So taking a good history, what happened? Uh, did it was a sudden onset or has it been building up for, for a longer period? Where is it painful during the, the when you're throwing? When is it painful? Is it during the, the cocking phase when you accelerate or is it more when you're doing the break? Does it feel after a lot of throwing or does it feel with, with your first throw, uh, etc.? All those things... I would say that will will uh, be the basics, and then you can add on the, the test and, and the scan on that to confirm or 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 deconfirm uh, your your diagnosis. Yeah, and on on that, Martin, I think that's quite interesting to dig into that a little bit. So, from your you know from your history there, you're you're assessing at which phase of the movement. Um, you're picking up some of these issues or maybe it's after throwing, as you say, where does that lead your sort of clinical reasoning process when you, when you hear those things in the history, can you break those down for us? Yeah. 
so the most common thing that I see is to say, if we take this athlete coming back from a from a break, either it's a summer break or it's, it's been a, a national break or a tennis player coming back after like getting kicked out of the tournament early and then have a, a break off and then starting serving or throwing again and they come back. They often say that oh, now it's 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 not the first throw or the first serve, but after a while I'm getting sore. It's getting painful. Uh, and it's mainly during the, the deceleration phase or after I've been throwing a lot. But I can still throw hard and I can still throw accurate. But I have to shake it off or I have to ice it a bit. And then it's or rested for a day or two and then I'm fine again. So that's often the, the first step. Uh, and for me, that just indicated a sore rotator cuff or a sore shoulder. Often, if, if we do an MRI on it, We'll find some tendinitis or something, but no major pathology. Just you've been doing too much. Uh, so in that case, but the problem here is that they most of them don't come seeing you with these problems because they can still throw hard. And if they just ice it, it will go away. And it's it's like this culture that the sports it's everyone has shoulder problems. All the pitchers has shoulder problems. All the handball players playing backcourt. Have shoulder problems, so it it's just a culture thing that's it comes with the sport. So they often come seeing you in the next phase when they can't throw anymore, when they can't perform, and then it's often start to getting painful during that acceleration or 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 late cocking phase. So when you're going from winding your your, your arm in maximum external rotation and starting to accelerate and throw away. And that started to be painful. And that will affect their, their performance. So now you can't throw that hard and you don't throw that accurate. And then they often come seeing you. And in that case, it's, it's often painful in the back of the shoulder, the top of the back, uh, which often is a posterior impingement. We can, we can see it on, on the ultrasound often when you externally rotate and then you will, will pinch the the parts of the infraspinatus and the supraspinatus in the back of the shoulder. And then it's painful in that position. Uh, the, pretty much the brain will shut off your shoulder so it just don't throw us at a maximum velocity. And those are the two main uh, characters of, of shoulder pain that, that I see in the, in the shoulder athlete and the throwers. Either it's painful when they do in deceleration phase, they can still throw hard, or it will it has developed, most of them start with the first phase and then it develops into what we call a, a posterior or internal or inside impingement uh, when they're in the cocking phase. So you mentioned something earlier about sort of these athletes being weak and then when they come back in, this overload, you know, hits them pretty hard and they start to get this, uh, you know, grumbling, these grumbling shoulder problems. Um that's a kind of assessment of function rather than a sort of tissue diagnosis. Yeah. What, what else do you look at when you're looking at the athlete's shoulder? Yeah, so strength is one thing. It's now it's, it's very easy with the, with the handheld dynamometer to, to measure. And, and the other thing that I look at is range of motion. Uh, and often those who get this, my experience is often those who get these kind of posterior or internal uh, shoulder problems, they lack both range of motion, especially in external rotation, and also strength in that end range 
motions. So going in that maximum external rotation, going in full internal rotation, uh, they don't have the, the range of motion and often they don't have the strength in that position. So those are the two things that I that I measure. And, and I often look either if, if they have, most of them now have uh, videos of them throwing. So we can just assess how does it look when, when they throw. Uh, or if they don't have that and they're not too painful in the shoulder, we, we will assess it as well. So just videotape them when, when they're throwing from the, from the side and from the posterior view, just to get a figure out of the type of, of throwing their, their, what, what their, sort of say, their typical throw would look like uh, for a handball player. And depending on when, when it comes to, to rehabilitation, depending on, on the type of throw and especially how old they are, we have to, to ask ourselves, is, is this something that we could actually change? Uh, if they're too old, I would say it's pretty much a pattern that's not stuck, but it would probably be quite hard to change. But I'd rather look at the type of throw that they're doing and what we're knowing from, from biomechanical analysis and studies in the lab, that if you're throwing a typical, what we call whip throw, when you're using the shoulder more, which is quite fast throw, it's quicker than the, the what we call a windmill throw, uh, or windmill mind, wind up throw when you use the whole body, which is a it's a slower throw. But when you release the ball, you get a higher speed. But if you're throwing a whip throw, which is most common in in the youth players, and especially we see it in in our youth female players, uh, you would put a higher demand on the shoulder. So in that case, that tells me that okay, for this athlete, we're going to work extra hard on that shoulder strength. So we have two ways. Either we can try to change their way of throwing or we can just prepare them to throw that so they can continue throwing like that. But in that case, we probably have to, to work harder on, on your shoulder rotational strength. That's great. I think that's a nice nice little sort of summary of those two things. So looking at strength and, and the range of motion and how they might affect the, the throwing shoulder. Yeah. Um, where do you stand? Because it was one of the other factors that's been looked at on, on this magical like scapular dysfunction because that's another factor that's been thrown in there what's your stance on that martin uh if you're looking at as a as a risk factor it's pretty much most of the studies done on scapular dyskinesia in, in large cohort studies come from from handball and it's i think it's a tie some studies showing that there is a relationship and association with, with increased risk of, of injury if you start the season with scapular dyskinesia and other studies have shown there's isn't an association. So, so in our studies, we we found that especially in the boys, they had a, a much higher risk of, of shoulder injuries if they got scapular dyskinesia. Uh, but the thing is that we don't know if we could change that or or if it's necessarily changed anything in the rehabilitation because most of the exercise that I do in rehabilitation is an overhead exercise or an exercise that's push pushing them into a throwing position. And that pretty much includes everything around the shoulders down to, to the legs and, and to the foot in the end. So uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's probably associated with injury, uh, but not necessarily something that we should focus or, or try to correct uh, in every athlete that, that we see with scapular dyskinesia. And we don't know if it's, it's just something it's if the scapular dyskinesia is a proxy for something else in, in our handball players 60 percent of them have scapular dyskinesia in our boys 
75%. In our boys with uh, BMI under 20, everyone has kept kinesia, dyskinesia because it's just skin and, and bones. And just being skin and bones in handballs would probably put you at higher risk as well. So I think it's, it's, it's more complex than just showing with one study that this is a risk factor uh, and not. So I'm not, I used to be really like scapula dysfunctionista. 10 years ago, I just tried to correct everything and measured everything. Uh, but nowadays, it's more like their overall strength or force that they can produce. Uh, that's pretty much what, what I'm looking at. So we'll, we'll come back a little bit to throwers um, a bit later on, but you also work with non-throwing athletes. So how, how does your approach differ when it comes to dealing with non-throwing athletes with shoulder pain? Um, I think it's it's... Overall, it's like the history. They don't. They don't. The other thing that I, athletes that I see are more handball is a contact sport as well. But if you look at ha- ice hockey, it's mainly the tackling and, and all that stuff that happens. So it's more like traumatic onsets uh, with instability, AC joint problems, uh, etc. So that that's one thing that in the throwers they often have that typical yeah i did this or i increased this and then this happened while in the in the non-overhead or non-throwers we often don't see that okay it's it's gradually onsets it's often one specific thing that happened i ran into this guy or this guy tried to murder me on on the field and now my shoulder hurts so that in in the history wise that's different as well uh, and some of the diagnosis that we we Mainly, I would say, seeing overhead athletes or throwers like the posterior impingement that we talked about, we don't see that in, in the non-overhead athletes as much. Uh, so when it comes to, to the diagnosis, some of those things we could, could we, don't, we don't just reject them. We put them on the bench, so to speak. So for the slap lesion, posterior impingements, et cetera, we put that on a bench and then we bring in like shoulder instability, AC joint problems, um, which is more common in, in, in that athletes. So that, if it's still talking about athletes, we're talking about just recreational or, or regular patient, that would be me with, with no like huge demand on my shoulder coming with shoulder pain. I My experience is that we're doing too much in, in the terms of assessment with that athlete or that patient we, we we're trying to assess shoulder strength in weird position and we're trying to assess scapular dyskinesia in, in people that never had their arm over their head for the past 20 years or so so reg, like my experience is that we're, we're often over assessment on those athletes and when it comes to the throwers we on the contrary we under assessment we, we do some strength tests or some impingement tests, and that's fine. We say, okay, you have a rotator cuff problem or we have impingement, but we don't assess all those sport-specific things that will actually have something to do with their with their problems, which is throwing and, and how they're throwing, how often, and et cetera. Yeah, I think that's clear. Um, just wanted to pick up on any gems you might have for AC joint problems, traumatic AC joint problems, any any gems there? I've been asked it a few times by people working in ice hockey and in rugby. But um, yeah, interested in what you have up your sleeve. Uh, you talking about diagnostics or more into rehabilitation? 
Yeah, more more going down the route of rehabilitation, I think, here. Just, um, you know, it's it's often a, a it should be quite a simple problem, but often becomes quite um quite quite a difficult one when you're thinking about trying to protect or prevent an AC joint from recurring. Yeah. And and the problem is that that they keep doing like this old tackling stuff. Uh, so it's it's the inner environment uh, where they where they just keep tackling, uh, and and I think that's the problem. So my experience is that if we if they're still they're pain free, and then we often let them back on the field. Like yeah, I can still I can still yeah do all the motions or movement with my with my shoulder. That's fine. I can probably still throw and and do some some wrestling. But that high impact tackling directly on the acromion, where with pretty much it's 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 the, the mechanics of, of that injury that still is a problem. So my experience, what I've been doing in the early years is I, I often let them back too soon. So they're pain-free, but they're not quite stable yet. So that that's, if, if I, in the games, it could be just me, but, but that's my experience that we say, okay, you're pain-free. Now you can go back and I come back a couple of days. Yeah, I got a new tackle and, and yeah, now it's hurt, hurt as well. Yeah, and it's also difficult to to stabilize. You know, when you see your cl- classic grades of AC joint instability, if you like, but then there's there's other more subtle variations of that with, with regard to instability in the AC joint. I think which sometimes get missed. Yeah, yeah. So for me, the past years, what I've been doing with this, or what, what I've changed in in my, in my clinical practice, is that. I've been more sport specific into tackling when it comes to return to sports criteria. Like you, you have to be able to first, you have to be able to tackle a soft mat and then a harder mat and then doing all kinds of things where you, when you tackle walls, et cetera. And if that's pain-free, then you can go back. It's not enough just being pain-free when you're doing some lifting or, or some overhead movements or when I test your isometric contraction or when I palpate the joint, it has to be that, that contact, that force loading into the, sh- the shoulder. So that's that's what I've changed in the past years. And that actually prolonged the return to, to play uh, time a couple of weeks, just, just testing yeah. that, clearing that. Yeah, Stig actually mentioned you were a big influence to him last time when he was talking about that kind of simulation of the handball in oh, that phase yeah. three return to play. Yeah. So have you done something similar for your kind of collision athletes as well? Yeah, we have a similar thing. We still test them for, for strength, etc. But it's instead of, of a lot of throwing, we put in like the common things that to do. So it's a lot of collision. Uh, we start with with more like heavy loading on, on the AC joint and overhead positions, handstands, etc. Where, you, where you're walking handstands against the wall, trying to just stepwise increase the load and and uh, and. Uh, uh, demand on the AC joint and in the end the last phase is just tackling 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 and, and if they're pain free in that okay then we clear them and they can go on on the ice if the ice hockey and rugby we don't have that much rugby players in, in Sweden at least I don't I don't I'm not the one in seeing them uh, but ice hockey players pretty much similar uh, mechanics when, when you tackle them yep uh, I agree so when we're looking at Going back a little bit now to throwers, we talked about throwers quite a bit around these functional things you look at. So we looked at strength, we looked at range of motion, and we we dealt with, I think we dealt with uh, scapular dyskinesia pretty well, <laughs> as well as can be expected. And um, 
you know, are there other are there other reasons why throwers get injured? Are there other stuff that you look at around your throwing athletes when you're kind of working out why they're injured in the first place? Yeah, I think I think the if if you look at it like risk factors and and mechanics, we we don't from research we don't know much. We we know a bit uh, from from the studies that our group have done and the Norwegians and Scandinavians and, and others and in America we have baseball players etc. Uh, so strength seems to be the most common thing that we see. Pretty much every study that looked at strength as a risk factor showed that if you're weak, if you're starting the, sh- the season being weak, this increased risk as well. Uh, and then range of motion is a little bit conflict. Some shows that range of motion is a risk factor. Sometimes it's internal rotation. Sometimes it's lack of external rotation. Sometimes it's too much external rotation or too little internal rotation. So it's a bit over the place when it comes to range of motion. Uh, but it probably has something to to do with their shoulder problems. It could be that when we're measuring on a bench, we don't actually measure what happens when they're actually throwing because there's so much more force on the shoulder compared to when we measure it. Uh, and then we have the the what I would call like the the load or the, the throwing load uh, and the spikes in, in throwing load. And all those things are something that we pretty much easy can change. We can get someone stronger in a couple of weeks, especially in the young ones. It's six to eight weeks. A lot of things can happen. We can get a, a lot more range of motion. And depending on what, what coach we, we have in front of us or how the schedule looks like, we can probably assess the or or at least adjust the, the load on the, on the throwing shoulder. Uh, so these are things that we actually can change. Uh, if we look at scapular dyskinesia, as I said before, we don't know if we can change that. If we look at throwing biomechanics, that probably has a lot to do with their with their shoulder problems, but we don't know if we can how we can assess that, or if we can actually change that, or if we can change that that quickly. So, throwing load and and uh, and strength and range of motion, I would say that's that's the main thing that I that I look at, and it's a real nice study from from. Danish group with Merete Miller showing that the the relationship with workload or training load and and shoulder strength is really really uh, associated with each other. So if you start the she- season being weak in the shoulder, you tolerate much less less spikes in your training load compared to someone who's really strong in the shoulder. But if the spikes in training load is too high, it doesn't matter if you're strong or weak. You're at the same risk as, as the, the weak guy. So what that tells us is that we can do a lot of things in the gym trying to prepare them for the season. We can we can strengthen the shoulder. We can get them more, more mobile in the shoulder. But in the end, if they're going down the, the season, spiking the loads going back and forward, at the end, that's probably much what's going to trump the the shoulder strength and range of motion. So all these things have to be be assessed. So if we have a schedule in front of us that looks like you're going on a roller coaster and I have two options, either I keep you in the gym or trying to get you stronger or I talk to the coach or the player or the parents depending on the age. So this is what we have in in front of us. I think that this is going to increase your risk a lot. So from, from the past past years i've shifted more into this is something that we need to adjust otherwise the things that we do in the gym will 
affect very very little what happens in their shoulder or not it's it's yeah it's never yeah. bad getting stronger in your shoulder but in the end if you're if you're uh, training load or if you're yeah, handball session or handball schedule for the next six months looks like a roller coaster. You're gonna probably get busted anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that capacity demand thing that we see with, you know, running loads as well in the lower limb. Yeah, uh, building a buff, building a buffer up front. Yeah, um, so that that strength doesn't suffer throughout the competitive season is is definitely something that rings true with shoulders and with and with lower body as well. Yeah, yeah. and. It- and what we're trying to do with, with our athletes and our youth athletes is like we look at the whole whole year round or whole season. And it's like, okay, this is what's going to happen in August, in our case in Hamburg, because you have a summer break from June to, to August. This is going to happen in August. You're going to have five practices, two times a, uh, two practices a day in the summer camp, and you're going to throw a lot. So like four or five weeks, if you're going back, back step from that, this is what you're going to do five weeks before that summer camp. And this is when you're going to do four weeks, etc. And it seems to help really, really like we have really good results and hopefully we have some, something published in the next couple of months. But it's, 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 if you just step back and look at it, it's quite easy. <laughs> it, it, yeah. yeah. It's, it's easy in theory, but in practice, it's, it's, it's not that easy, but it's, it's, uh, if it's something again that I changed last couple of six or seven years, it's just sitting down. If I work with a youth athlete, sitting down with the athletes and the parents, just okay, what what's the season look like? Okay, so here you have your summer break, and you haven't done any throwing for one and a half months, and you went to Ibiza and you didn't do anything but being on the beach, and then you went straight back to some, to this this boot camp, and you didn't done this for three years. First year you got a little sore. Second year, you couldn't throw for two weeks. Now you're here and you can't throw for six weeks. So what you've been doing during the summer break, we need to change that. Yeah, I think that's something that we spoke a little bit about with um, with Freddie on part one of this European shoulder series as well, is, is actually the sort of challenges around the youth throwers and maybe there's an education piece in there as well. But you know, from, from your side, Martin, what other sort of key issues do you see? Um, around these youth throwing athletes and their develop developing athletes um we see we start with the diagnostics that uh, we started to discuss uh, in this talk we see a little bit different that the things that the heads up that we need to look for is is if they get any problems with their their growth plate or their uh, physical areas because uh, that could really affect their not only their like throwing performance but actually their 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 arm length in this this case so that's something that we need to to look at after for if someone doesn't if often they have problems during rotational exercises and throwing only when they get that that torsion in the in the humeral head and they often get to this plateau when when they don't get anything stronger they can't throw hard and just stays on that plateau for a week and they don't have any progress in the rehabilitation that should give you a heads up like, okay, this is something that we could just try to exclude in our, in our diagnosis. Uh, so that, that's one thing uh, that, that we see in these athletes. And the other thing is that we, we have 
they don't think so, but we have so much more time with these athletes compared to, to the professional athlete. Uh, every athlete, regardless if they're 15 years old or 25 years old and professional, they want to get back as quick as possible. But I think we have much more time with these youth athletes and actually have some time to build up their, their resilience, their, their physical fitness, etc. Uh, in this rehabilitation period. So we don't need to rush them as much as, as the other athletes and we don't need to take as much risk. We don't need to, to accept as much pain during the rehabilitation or when we return to, to the sport compared to our professional athletes as well. Uh, and that, that could be tricky, especially if someone is really motivated and the parents really want them to, to uh, get back on the court and they have tryouts for, for the youth national teams, etc. So it's, that's really, really tricky. But I think many times we rush them back and then they come back in a couple of weeks or a couple of months and say like, yeah, I got it back or I'm still sore in my shoulder. Yeah. Especially in a sport where it's such a high prevalence in terms of those people with symptoms and carrying carrying symptoms anyway, it makes sense to to buy yourself more time with those with those youth athletes when you can control them before they go into the, the craziness of the professional yeah. world. Uh, yeah. I also think in especially in that age when you're around 13, 14, 15, 16, you a lot of them are really, really talented. Either they're really good at their sport or they're what I call pseudo-talent. They're, they're really early matured and they're like really, really tall. And in handball, if you're left-handed, then you're, you're much more uh, attracted than, than, than if you're right-handed. So in that case, you probably played a lot of handball or you played a lot of your sports and you're really good at it. So you played with like your older team, etc. So the... The ratio between matches and, and training is is shifted. So normally what we see in our UFAT is perhaps one match a week and then five or six or seven training sessions. Uh, but it's not unusual that I see those young athletes having three or four matches per week and then two training sessions. So they don't have any preparation time. And eventually the sports will catch up to you. The, sport, the demand from the sports will catch up, catch up with you. And then you stand there with your with your pants down because now all of a sudden you don't have the, the physical quality or the strength and conditioning to to perform at that level, and all of a sudden you're you're not that super super player anymore, and and that's not only they they will run into to injuries, they will also find like okay I'm not that good. Always all of the sudden all the other players just just pass you. Uh, and you you don't think your sport is any, any fun anymore. So with um, with the youth throwers as well, when you're monitoring things throughout their development, certainly around rehab, uh, are there other things to consider when you're looking at kind of you know, strength of the athletes as individuals? Yeah, uh, as I said, it's, this is if the, if you have like a larger injury that would take weeks or months uh, to to recover from you first thing you have often like a window of opportunity to catch up to just build up their athletic body or or, or strength and conditioning them uh, which they often lack a bit especially those as i said who are quite talented who played more matches than 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 training and the other thing is that if in that age when when they're growing from like 
12 years up, especially when they're going through puberty and up to 17, 18 years old, we expect them to have a natural like increase in strength and endurance in, in aerobic capacity just out of, of, of getting older and, and, and growing. So when we look at our benchmark, if we have, have like normative values or, or, or pre-injury values on that players, uh, something that we often miss is that those athletes actually should naturally get stronger. So we need to add that to our benchmark. So if you're doing 150 newtons on, on your dynamometer, you would probably be on 165, 170 a couple of months later, just getting getting stronger and older. So that's something that we have to to include in our assessment when we're, when we're looking at especially return to sports criteria and strength is one of them for sure. Yeah, it's a nice pickup. Definitely relevant to anybody working with throwing shoulders in the developing athlete you're um you're someone who's seen a lot of shoulders martin a bucket load of shoulders i think and so let's let's like finally touch on perhaps some of the more rare things that you might have seen that others won't have seen and you know particularly around diagnosis and then how you how you tend to manage those injuries yeah so we we talk about those the, the most common ones it's often non-specific onset they they're starting to throw more than they used to uh, or they get like in handball you got like some contact to the shoulder and that will develop into overuse injuries but sometimes in thrower they get that sudden sharp pain during throwing like they often tell us like yeah i made this throw or made a couple of throws and eventually just get a sharp pain or something snapped in my my shoulder and often it's during that acceleration phase so we talked about that being in the maximum external rotation that late cocking phase and now going into maximum internal rotation and sometimes to get actually get a, a tear of, of uh, latissimus or pectoralis major uh, subscap teres major etc so in those cases we actually have a pathology and often when it's just throwing they're not that big or large so we need surgery so often we can have start at least with, with conservative treatment on that in handball though it's quite rare now but if you're doing a maximum throw and someone trying to block it especially when you're coming from from the side uh, and you're trying to block it trying to grab the ball while someone's throwing that's a massive load on the shoulder in that case we've seen some really nasty major rupture of subscap uh, latissimus as well that actually needed surgery uh, but when it's just come to throwing it's more common that we at least start with conservative treatment but uh, that's a different thing because now we're in diagnosis we need to ask ourselves is, is this something that we should treat conservative or do we need surgery on it and often that's a good good indication if they have that history uh, this sudden on on uh onset with a sharp pain in my shoulder and now it's painful just doing passive external rotation maximum they can feel that when it's stretching those internal rotator muscles that's a good indication to get a picture on it an mri or, or an ultrasound uh, because that's often correlates to the actual problems compared to the ones that we talked about before with non-specific onset or gradual onset so that's that's one of the things that that quite rare uh, but they, they they happen if you see see enough shoulders they they will sooner or later walk into to your clinic 
Martin, this has been a, a really interesting chat for me. I've uh, I've enjoyed it. Obviously, it's talking about shoulders, so I've I've clearly enjoyed it. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to bring back these European rock stars and uh, get them all together for a question and answer session sometime in the new year. Um, and we're going to um, take sort of questions from the floor. So if anybody has anything that they want to contact us with that on our using our social media channels, um, then that'd be fantastic. So we can we can answer your questions in the new year with these guys um, who have a huge amount of experience between them working with largely throwing shoulder athletes, but as you've heard today as well, a number of other athletes from different sports with different injuries. Martin, thanks so much for giving up your time. Um, I really appreciate it in the lead up to Christmas. And uh, once again, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks once again to Martin there. And Martin's agreed to leave some contact details in our show notes. So go to the show notes at informperformance.com and you can contact Martin by Twitter or through his new website, which is going to be coming in the next couple of weeks. A big thank you to Dr. Martin Asker for coming on the show to make part three of the Shoulder Series. As I said at the beginning, we will be releasing an episode soon with all the Shoulder Series guests, as well as Ben Ashworth discussing the athletic shoulder. So that would definitely be one not to miss. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Informed Performance Podcast. Tune in next time for more performance and sports medicine insights.